Good morning. All right. So I don't know about you, but that song gets me all the time. Wasn't that a great one? What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. So we have been talking about parables, and parables kind of get behind our defenses. Our lives are made of story. Each of us has a story. And if you don't believe me, think inside your head. Think, think what you tell yourself all the time. When you're driving down the road or when you're going to work, story makes our lives. Story is how we interpret the world around us. And we live through our own stories. So parables are stories that get behind our defenses. Parables kind of, parables get to the core and tell us the realities of our lives without us knowing about it immediately. And parables, they make us go, oh, that's what's happening. It's stories that relate to our lives. And so we've been going through the parables. First, we had, we had the lost sheep and the missing coin. Okay, so this sheep and the coin, they're part of something bigger than themselves. They are part the sheep is part of a fold. The coin is part of a necklace. And without that one sheep and that one coin, it's not complete. And so that parable is to tell us that God is always looking for us. He's always looking for that lost sheep, that missing coin that, that goes with the necklace, that lost sheep that belongs in the fold. And God never stops looking. Isn't that great? Just shake your head, yeah, it's great. Okay, so, and then we went to the different kinds of soils. We covered that parable. One soil, there was only one soil that was fertile that would produce something from the word that was planted there. And then we went to the parable of the talents. Does anybody remember that one? That was just last week. And there were three servants Master gave one five talents, one two talents, one one. Five and two did okay, right? They did okay. The one hid the talent in the ground. And he hid it because he was scared. He was scared to risk. He didn't want to use that talent because what if, what if he lost it? What if he lost the talent that his master gave him? He didn't want to risk. He was afraid. It's daunting to think that we need to use our gifts. It can be scary to use our gifts because when we share our gifts, we share ourselves, if you think about it. We share our souls. We share a piece of our heart. When the praise team is up here doing their thing, don't you think that every, every note, every note has to come from the heart or it would not come out at all? Everything we share, every gift that we share is from our hearts. And so yes, it can be very scary. And, um, but when we do, when we do share our gifts, 
The beautiful thing about it is that we get to join something so much larger than ourselves. The beautiful thing about it is that we go from sitting in a pew to being part of God's team. We go from just coming on Sunday to being active in the kingdom of God and actually actively perpetuating, sending out, going forth and spreading the kingdom of God. When we choose to actually use those gifts. Now I told the, the early service, I'm not great at slides. Um, so you're gonna have to just bear with me because this is my first time using slides. And um, I can't really walk and chew gum either, so just, <laughs> I'll be okay. So we might ask ourselves, what difference can we make? I have people all the time come up to me and say they don't have any gifts. I don't have any gifts that I can use. Boy, I wish I had some gifts. Now, I know that's not true because I people watch. And I watch what people do. I watch the people who are in my life and I see them doing remarkable things every day. So I know that you have gifts. All of us do. All of us have gifts. And, you know, we might ask the question, does God think of me? When, when Steve was up here last week, he said that the people that Jesus was preaching to, well, they were peasants, okay? And so a peasant's question might be, does God think of me? If so, what does God think of me? Do I really have gifts to share? Do I matter? I bet those questions echo in your heart as well. You, know, you don't have to admit it, but just think about it. How can I possibly do anything worthwhile in the kingdom? Now, Jesus tells two parables. There we go. So he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Amen. So Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, which to be strictly accurate is not the smallest of seeds, but it was proverbial for its smallness. For example, the Jews talked of a drop of blood as small as a mustard seed, or if they were talking of some tiny breach of the ceremonial law, they would speak of a defilement as small as a mustard seed. And Jesus himself used this phrase in this way when he spoke of faith as a grain of mustard seed. So it was an expression, it was a figure of speech, something you just use every day. And so he's talking about this parable, this mustard seed. The kingdom of God begins very small. It is a fact of history that the greatest things must always begin with the smallest beginnings. If you think about it, if you study um, 
any of the, the old church um, when it was just beginning. They did begin in the synagogue, but eventually they had to split from that uh, for obvious reasons. Um, we love Jesus, and so we had to leave the synagogue. Okay, so they started meeting in houses. These house churches were established because apostles, an apostle means one who is sent, okay? Apostles would go to people's houses and they would be on fire with Christ, on fire for Christ. And the head of the household would catch that and be baptized. And how they did things back then was if the head of the household did it, you did it too. Everyone else did it too. But you know, I went to a conference this week with my seminary, and I heard someone say that if, if the apostles were that on fire for Christ, and they went to these houses, and the head of the household got baptized, if they were that on fire for Christ, that it was the spirit which was, was kind of catching like the flu, it's no wonder that everyone else got baptized too, and everyone else caught the fire as well. Uh, there's an author, his name is Cecil Northcott, and he tells in one of his books about a group of young people discussing how the gospel might be spread, and they named off various things, you know, pamphlets, books, in, in our day, it might be websites, social media, all that kind of stuff. But then this girl from Africa, she pipes up and she says, well, when we, wanna, when we want to take Christianity to one of our villages, what we do, we don't, we don't deal with books and pamphlets. We take a Christian family and we put them in that village to live, to work, to have life in that village. And from that, the gospel is spread. And from that, the fire of Christ is caught, the fire of God. And it is the person on fire for Christ who is the one that kindles others. You know that song, Pass It On? It's this, it's this hymn, and it, go, it starts, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And isn't that true? If you ever went camping, you ever built a campfire? Yeah, it takes a spark. Sometimes paper, but it, you know, <laughs> for a campfire. But you get where I'm going with this. It takes a spark to get a fire going. And I told you I'm not really great at these slides. There you go. So, here we go. So, also, when, when, I was, when I was at this conference, I went to this class, and my teacher was throwing statistics at us, and I hate statistics, because I, I can't math to save my life. But um, he was giving us some t statistics, and I'm not great at it, but I could, I, could, I could tell these weren't great. These are not good statistics. 17%, they did a survey of the United States, and 17% of people actually go to church in the United States. They admit going to church. 
and 40% of them are lying. 40% of that 17% are lying because they, they only go to church on Christmas and Easter. That's twice a year. We call them Christers. They go to church on Christmas and Easter. And so they're not really going to church. And so that's, that's some pretty dim um, statistics there. I don't like that. Uh, it's, not, it's not, I don't like to say it. I'm sure it's not great to hear. It's kind of depressing. We have empty, sort of, sort of empty seats, not many. But, you know, we can, we can look at the UK just go across the water. Look at the present day England. Um, look at the UK and see where they've been. They have, they have closed many churches. Churches close every year. There's churches that close every day. And I, I swear I'm not trying to make you depressed. But churches close every day. And so they've been through this. Um, they've closed churches. But what they have started doing is they've started taking that little remnant. They went outside their cathedrals because they knew people weren't going to darken that doors. They went outside their cathedrals. They started having worship services in other places like dog parks, restaurants. I know a church in Florida that did the same thing. You know Moe's? We got one in Vienna. People started having a worship service at Moe's. People took the gospel. They knew that they were the ones who were sent. They're apostles. means ones who are sent. And they took the gospel outside the walls of the church. And it started making a difference. You know, we might ask that question who am I? What difference can I make? I'm just one person, right? But Jesus had a response to that. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. One of my favorite quotes comes from um, comes from The Hobbit. Peter Jackson actually quoted this, and he had Gandalf say it in The Hobbit, and he said that Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check, but that is not what I have found. I have found it is small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. What difference can I make? What difference can you make? We can do those small acts of kindness and love. I'm gonna take us back just a little bit because I really wanted to cover this. You know, we're the third largest mission field in the world. And I'm not saying that's bad news. It's just that we're ready for renewal. When Africa and Korea send their missionaries out, guess where they come? They come to us. They come to us. What difference can we make? We're just one person.
but those everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. Uh, Joan of Arc says, she, she said, I do not fear men at arms. My way has been made plain before me, which this has been kind of t- carried forward into our time, and so now people are paraphrasing this quote. And I actually kind of like the paraphrase better. It makes more sense. And it says, I am not afraid. I was born to do this. You ever feel like that? You're born to do this. And I really want to emphasize that because each of us are born to carry the kingdom of God further. We're, we're made for more than our nine to five. We're made for more than where we are right now and who we are right now. You remember the Lion King? Remember when we did that? When we, when we showed that on the screen? You are more than what you have become. And we are, we are so much more than what we have become. We were made to love and be loved by God and make sure others know that as well, that they are loved by God and take the kingdom further. Another thing that I wanted you to get from this parable is that the kingdom of God is transformative. Every time the kingdom of God touches a place, it is changed. In, in ancient, in, in Sparta, when, when someone had a baby, that baby would be presented to someone to check it out. And if the baby was healthy, then it would live and it would be okay. But if it was unhealthy, oh, they killed it. What Christianity does is it comes in and says that's not okay. Christianity transforms the lives of individuals and communities. And so the kingdom of God is transformative. It transformed life for the weak and the ill. It transformed life for the advanced in age. And it transformed life for all of us, for children, adults, all of us. It transformed our lives by freeing us from from sin and then saying, guess what? Go out and spread the message. Christianity was the first religion to regard people as persons and not instruments capable of doing so much work. And the last thing I wanted you to get from this is that the kingdom of God is disruptive. The kingdom of God, it stirs the waters and rocks the boat. The people who crucified Jesus, they did it because Jesus rocked their boat. He stirred up their 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 waters he wrecked their orthodoxy he ate with sinners he healed people on the sabbath there should be a collective (gasps) because that's what they did he healed people on the sabbath and he turned over tables he not only turned over tables but he turned societies around he turned over society The last will be first, the first will be last. Jesus disrupted the orthodoxy, the religious elite, he made them uncomfortable. 
Jesus got in the way of their orthodoxy. He disrupted the lives of the religiously un religiously comfortable to bring in the rest of us. And that's what the kingdom of God does. It disrupts the religiously comfortable to bring in the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. It turns the tables on societal norms. Now, we think that is, you know, we like to hear that, don't we? Just nod your head yes we do we like to hear that 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 our lives will be transformed and that jesus changes things and jesus disrupts the normal but what if what if what if we're the comfortable religious people have you ever thought of that what if we're too comfortable in our pews you know what if jesus interrupts our normal you know we we um we say we don't like change who here likes change Okay, we got one. We got one. One person. Okay, two, three. Okay, a few people like change. But you know what? We change every day. Every cell in our body, down on a, on a cellular level, I can't say that word, cellular, there you go, changes every day. We change. We, um, we like change when we're in control of it, too. Like, we get a haircut, you know, um, I was informed by someone in the first service that sometimes we can't change our hair. But for those of us who do, we can cut our hair, we can style it, we change our clothes. You know, we can go on and on and on. We change every day. We're in control of that change. Uh, you know, um, for example, yesterday my hair was blue. I have pictures to prove it. We change every day. But we don't like the change that we cannot control. What if Jesus is changing a society out there? What if Jesus is changing our culture through the kingdom of God and bringing up the least, the last lost and the lonely, the vulnerable ones, the oppressed ones, ones who can't quite care for themselves? We can all think of somebody we might know who fits in that, fits in that category. When change comes into the community, when Jesus transforms a community through the kingdom of God, it disrupts life. And so, if we are the religious comfortable, just sitting down, maybe Maybe we can think about, what can I do? How can I actually be involved in that change? Even if it might scare me. How can I use my gifts, even if I might be afraid? You know, we can... We can actually be on that team, be on God's team, and change the world for better. Yeah. So why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you so much 
that we are here in your presence. And uh, Lord, we just give you all the glory. And God, when you, when you are changing things better, and when, when society is disrupted, when the kingdom of God comes in and, and disrupts our lives, and, and um, when communities are transformed, God, let us, let us, um, let us be part of it. God, let us be on your team. Let us realize that we can use our gifts and that we can actually be part of it. And we thank you, God. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen.